0: chapter 26, verses 19 to 29. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said... whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Kimberly. Good morning, Redeemer. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Marshall Griffin. I'm on staff here at Redeemer, and uh, it's really my joy to get to open up the text with you this morning as we take just a one-week break from walking through the prison epistles of the Apostle Paul. Just last week, Eric finished up for us uh, our series through the book of Ephesians, and next week he'll be kicking off uh, the next letter, which is Paul's letter to the Colossians. So, would love for you to join us again next week as we jump into our next series, but this week... We are in Acts chapter 26. Uh, before we really jump into the passage that Kimberly just read for us, uh, show of hands: who else here loves courtroom dramas? Legal drama, yeah, right. Like some of the best shows, movies, plays—you know, those scenes where the fast-talking lawyer finds a way to prove their case and ensure justice with the perfectly timed, powerful monologue that proves their client is innocent or shows beyond a shadow of a doubt who's guilty. Like, I, I love that stuff. You've got Law and Order. Uh, you've got Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. You've got even Liar Liar, you got a classic like Legally Blonde. But my personal favorite has to be A Few Good Men. It doesn't get any better than that. Have you guys seen this? This Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, that showdown in the courtroom. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth, son. We live in a world that has walls. (laughs) Eventually there's some words that I can't say. Um, But man, that gets me fired up every time. And those kind of scenes are exactly what I'm reminded of when I read Acts 26. Here we have the Apostle Paul making his defense. Now, of course, Paul is not in an American courtroom going through our modern legal process, but there are some significant similarities as he stands before the government officials in a public hearing and is asked to lay out his case. To give you some context of how we got here, a couple chapters earlier, Paul had been taken into custody uh, by some Roman soldiers because some of his opponents in Jerusalem stirred up a riot against him. So the Roman soldiers who are tasked with keeping the peace, they come in, they arrest Paul, they're trying to figure out what has he done so bad that this mob is turning against him. And then for his own safety, he eventually gets transferred to Caesarea, where the Roman governor of the region is. And while there were no legal valid charges against him, he remained imprisoned, really as a political favor to his opponents, just to keep the peace. One governor leaves office, another governor named Festus, who we saw in the passage, comes into power, and at this point, Paul decides to exercise his right as a Roman citizen to appeal his case to Caesar. He says, send me to Rome, I appeal to Caesar. And while Paul is waiting to be transferred to Rome, the governor Festus receives two prestigious guests, the other characters that we saw in that passage, Agrippa, who is the king of Judea, and his sister Bernice. Now, just to clarify, while Agrippa holds the title of king, remember, they're under Roman rule, so he's the king of Judea, but he's really a client king. So he's in the unenviable position of trying to keep his people happy, but also keep their Roman overlords happy. Historically, this will not go well for him. So Agrippa comes into town, and as Festus is hosting him, he says, you know, I have this really interesting case. I have this prisoner here named Paul, who's appealed to Caesar, but honestly, I don't have any charges against him. There's no real valid reason that he's been imprisoned, but now he's appealed to Caesar. So to Caesar, I have to send him. But Agrippa, you know, he's one of your people, so maybe you can help me figure out what we should say as we send him off to Caesar. So they put together this big public hearing. In come the military leaders, in come the prominent figures in the city, in come Festus and Agrippa and Bernice, and then in comes Paul in chains. Agrippa says to Paul, okay, speak for yourself. Lay out your case before us. And this is the moment that that we expect, right? This is is the moment from law and order. This is the moment from a few good men. This is the verbal eloquence, the mic drop. Paul's going to use this moment to justify himself, to get out of this unfair imprisonment. Except that's not really what Paul does, is it? In fact, Paul gives a very different kind of testimony than the one we might be expecting. Now, yes, he he does make it clear that he's done nothing wrong. He makes it clear that his opponents are bringing false charges against him. But as he speaks, it becomes increasingly clear that his top priority is, is actually not to justify himself and to get himself free. His ultimate aim is to make sure that everyone present from the guards who brought him in To the king and the governor who hold his life in their hands, his ultimate goal is that each one of these people gets to hear the gospel and have a chance to place their faith in Jesus. That passage that Kimberly just read for us is really one of my favorite exchanges in all of scripture. Paul finishes his story and he says... King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa is taken aback. He says, Wait a minute, you're supposed to be trying to show me how you're innocent, and you're trying to persuade me to become a Christian right now? And Paul says, Yes, I want everyone here to become a Christian, just like I've become, except for these chains. Church, what I love so much about this passage is is not just that it's such a compelling narrative. But also because as we read this here and now today, I think it holds some really relevant truths for us as we seek to faithfully follow Jesus in 2020. And yes, I know some of you can already tell where I'm going. I see you starting to squirm a little bit. We are going to talk about that big E word that everyone feels uncomfortable about, evangelism. Paul's example here is so relevant to us as we seek to carry out the mission that Jesus has given us to share the gospel and make disciples. Now, before we jump in specifically to break this text down, I do want to speak to that discomfort that some of us feel when the topic of evangelism comes up. I want to name it and address it, right? Because I know some of you are like, ah, man, a sermon on sharing the gospel. Let me just go ahead and get ready to feel guilty for the rest of the day. I know that all kinds of emotions come up around this. Some of you, we start talking about sharing the gospel, and you love it. You get fired up. Nothing gets you more excited. Scripture talks about, in talking about spiritual gifts, it talks about the gift of the evangelist. And undoubtedly, some of you have it. It just seems to come naturally to you. And then for others of us here this morning, you're definitely on board in theory, but the idea also kind of fills you with like a low-level dread and anxiety, right? Right? You're thinking, well, I just, I just don't really know how to share the gospel. I don't really know that that's my gift. I mean, Marshall, you just said there's a gift of the evangelist. That's not my gift, so why don't I just stay over here where my gifts are? But while scripture does talk about the specific gift for some, it also makes abundantly clear that the call to share the gospel and to make disciples is not just a specific gift for some. It's also a call for all of us who are followers of Jesus every follower of Jesus has this calling. And praise God, every follower of Jesus also has the spirit of God to help us carry this calling out. So be encouraged. Don't hear me this morning as though this is a do more, do better, prove yourself kind of sermon. No, this is a, here's who we are. Here is the glorious calling to which we've been called. So let's lean hard on the grace of God and go after it together. So we don't have time to walk through the entire chapter. I would really encourage you this afternoon or later on this week to read all of Acts 26, to get it in full. But this morning I'm gonna highlight a couple verses to really show us three truths from this passage that spur us on to make disciples and that help us to overcome the common obstacles that come up along the way. And the first truth is this. The first truth that we need to see in this passage is that when it comes to sharing the gospel, Sharing the gospel is sharing good news. I'm sure that sounds really simple to many of us. If you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard that the word gospel literally means good news. But sometimes I think that we get so used to that etymology of the word that we kind of lose touch with what it means in practice. Really practically to share the gospel is to share with someone the best news imaginable. And this reality is clear throughout Paul's testimony. He has a message of good news that he wants everyone to hear. Verse six, he says, I stand here on trial because of my hope. Verses 17 through 18, he talks about how God has commissioned them to open their eyes so that they may may turn from darkness to light and receive forgiveness of sins. This is a message of hope. This is a proclamation of light, And life, through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, when we believe in him, we are forgiven, set free from condemnation, reconciled to God, adopted into his family. Church, we are the messengers of the greatest news in the universe. I mean, think about the best news that you've ever received. What is it? Uh, We're excited to inform you that you've been accepted. You're getting a promotion. The operation was a success. I love you. The Patriots lost last night. <laughs> Think about the best news that you've ever received and multiply it by infinity. Nothing comes close to this. Think about the best news you've ever been able to tell someone. Have you guys had that experience where it's like you, you've got it and you know that they're just gonna be so excited and you can't wait to tell them and see the way that their face lights up? And yet, so often when we think about sharing the gospel, we approach it not as though we have good news to share, but more like we're gonna say, hey, we need to talk, right? That's like the worst thing you can hear, right? Am I the only one that's been on the receiving end of the hey, we need to talk? (laughs) And look, do do I expect everyone you share the gospel with to to immediately break down into joyful tears and hug you and become a Christian on the spot? No, that's not usually how it works. It's never happened to me, at least. Maybe Eric has had some experiences like that. (laughs) He said no. But the reality that we have to hold on to is that we have a message of hope and life to share. And that should be considered a privilege that we have not something to fear or to dread or to avoid or to put off. Really what I believe is at the heart of the matter here is that the biggest obstacle we face to sharing the gospel is this. We really don't want to come off as awkward or offensive or weird. We've been trained by our culture that to be, to believe that being awkward is a fate worse than death. And because the good news of reconciliation and forgiveness in the gospel means that we do have to confront people with their need to be reconciled and their need to be forgiven, they may very well reject it. In sharing the gospel, there is a risk of rejection. But church, we have got to realize that the potential reward so far outweighs the risk that it's not even worth comparing. We have to pray that God would show us how insignificant our fears of rejection are in light of eternity. Back in the college ministry that I used to be a part of, we had a saying to try to combat this. We would say, awkward isn't an excuse because comfort isn't our goal. Awkward is not an excuse because comfort isn't our goal. Our goal is not to keep ourselves comfortable by never taking risks. And our goal certainly is not to allow our friends to remain comfortably going through life separated from God. We want them to have the same hope that we have. And that's worth a conversation, even an awkward one. Of course, the goal is not to be awkward or offensive. Don't walk away saying, all right, let's get weird. (laughs) That's not what we're going for. Be kind, be humble, seek to be tactful, but be bold. This is good news. Our savior and his gospel are worth boldness. I'm reminded of uh, the story of one of our elders, Mike Bellamy. We were at lunch on Friday and he was telling me about how he came to Christ. And in his senior year of high school, Mike was looking at colleges to go to, thinking about his next stage in life. And Jesus was the furthest thing from his mind. But he had a friend who faithfully, persistently kept sharing the gospel with him over the course of nine months before he finally believed. Don't you know that some of those conversations had to be awkward? Nine months of sharing the gospel and Mike saying, no, I'm not interested. Don't you know that there were times where Mike was not happy to hear it when he wished that this guy would just give up? But now, decades later, I won't say how many decades. (laughs) decades later, he could not be more thankful that this guy kept going. Thank you for pressing through nine months of my rejection. Thank you for pressing through the awkward conversations so that I could know this hope in Jesus. This guy knew that it was worth it. His life had been changed by the gospel and he was going to share that gospel until Mike heard it for the good news that it is. The good news is worth the risk, so let's be bold. And rather than trying to protect ourselves, let's make much of Jesus. The second truth that I want us to see this morning, uh, it answers another common obstacle. Let me give you the obstacle first this time. Another obstacle to sharing the gospel is, I just don't know what to say. How do I do do it? Maybe you're like me and you're a chronic overthinker and you're like, like, where do I start? What's the best way to do this? How do I approach this? is there a book to read? Is there a diagram? Are there methods? And, and yes, there actually are some really helpful books and some tools and some diagrams that you can use in these conversations. But in this passage, Paul shows us another place to begin sharing the gospel, which I found is often the simplest and best place to begin, which is this. You begin to share the gospel just by telling your story. The second truth we need to see this morning is that sharing the gospel is sharing our story. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that the gospel is about us or that we're the main character. But what I'm saying is that as a Christian, you have a story of what Jesus has done in your life, of how he's pursued you, of how he's saved you, of how you heard and believed and have been transformed. Now, some of you I know hear that and you go, well, you know, I don't really have a story. I became a Christian at a young age. I I was raised in a Christian home. But listen, that's just not true that you don't have a story. You don't need a sordid backstory or a crazy experience of rebellion or even a, a single pivotal conversion point like we see Paul has. You don't need any of those things to have a story of what Christ has done for you of how faithful he's been to you. One of the simplest ways to share the gospel is to share it through your story. Let's, let's look at Paul's example here of how he walks through it. First, he shares what his life was like before Christ. In verse four, he says, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I've lived as a Pharisee. You skip down to verse 9, he gets into more detail. He says, I I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He takes a moment to make clear, this is what defined my life before I knew Christ. And then he tells them about his encounter with Jesus, about how on the road to Damascus, he was knocked off his horse, a bright light appeared to him. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting, but rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Paul made it clear that his life before Christ was defined by strict religious adherence, was defined by rage, and yet he encountered a savior who did not judge him, but who offered him grace, who lifted him up and appointed him to this calling. And then finally, he makes it clear how he has been transformed, the different man that he is now because of Jesus, the most vicious enemy of the church, now free from his rage, full of hope in Christ, dedicated to proclaiming the gospel. He says in verse 22, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God, And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. See, Paul, in this moment, in his chance to proclaim the gospel, he could have issued this dense theological treaty, right? He could have laid out a complex philosophical argument both of which he does really well elsewhere in scripture. But here, he powerfully shares the gospel simply by sharing his story, who he was, how he encountered Jesus, and how that changed everything. I think that you'll find there are some other real strengths to sharing the gospel this way. For one, if in the moment you're like, gosh, what was that that verse? What was that thing that Eric said on Sunday? What is that C.S. Lewis quote? If you can't remember that in the moment, that's okay. Just share your story. What has Christ done for you? It also makes it a much more personal conversation, which can can sometimes help diffuse any possible tension. Because rather than them feeling like you're trying to force a belief system upon them or that you're judging them, you're just telling them something about yourself. You're placing yourself in the vulnerable position. You're, You're not trying to win. You're just trying to share with them this thing that has made such an impact in your life. This helps communicate to whoever you're talking to that this is not a conversation about how much better or smarter or holier you are than them. But this is about the grace that you've received that's changed everything. We can really simply begin to share the gospel just by sharing our story. The final obstacle that I want to mention this morning is another one that I'll be the first to admit that I've struggled with. When it comes to sharing the gospel, I just don't wanna mess this up. Sharing the gospel feels so weighty, especially the, the better that I know a person, the more invested I am in the relationship, the more that I care. What if I blow it? What if I mess up so badly that I actually end up further away from Jesus than when I started talking? Like I told you guys earlier, I'm an overthinker, right? This is the stuff I have to wrestle with. One time in college, I kind of stumbled my way into sharing the gospel uh, with a guy that we had become really good friends with. It was a guy named Yin. We'd met playing basketball and we were hanging out one night and I just was able to get into sharing the gospel with him. But the more that I kept talking, like the more that I was tripping over my words, I felt like I wasn't really making any sense. Nothing was coming out right. But then I just like, I made it worse by like word vomiting, you know, like when your brain is like, why, why are you still talking? But you just are. And his face kept looking like more confused as I went on. And I walked away from that conversation feeling so defeated, just feeling like a failure I texted the guy who was leading our campus ministry and I said, man, I I think that Yen understands the gospel less now. Can you just, can you pray for him? Can you pray that like I didn't do that much damage? And I'll never forget what he texted me in reply because he rebuked me in just the best way possible. He said, Marshall, Jesus has been redeeming people for 2000 years. You can't stop him and don't you dare think that his mission depends on how well you can speak. He has called you to be faithful, to share the gospel, but the power to save is all his, and he gets all the glory by using our feeble, broken attempts to accomplish his great mission. That was better than a few good men, if you ask me. (laughs) All that to say that the final truth that I want us to see this morning when it comes to sharing our hope in Jesus with people is that we play a part, but God has the power. We play a part, but God has the power. Church, when we don't share Jesus because we're worried that our words aren't good enough or that we're not good enough Christians to do that sort of thing or that we're just too inadequate, we've lost sight of this important truth. We were never called to be adequate or eloquent, we were called to be faithful and to rely on the power of God for everything else. Again, this is reflected not only in this passage, but really throughout Paul's entire life and ministry. Where do you get the kind of confidence to speak with boldness the way that he does? Where do you get the power for perseverance in the midst of opposition and imprisonment? It comes from knowing hey, I got a role to play and that's to be faithful and I can trust Jesus with everything else. That's where the boldness comes from in the midst of his trial. Not to say, look, I'm innocent, but to say, look to Jesus. He knows that his part is to simply tell people about Jesus and trust God with the rest. If I can point us back to the book of Ephesians for just a moment, here's your epilogue to our Ephesians series. Look at Ephesians 6, 19 through 20, when Paul asks for prayer for himself, what does he ask for? He says, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul knows that wherever he is, even in chains, he's an ambassador for Jesus, He's a messenger of the gospel. He ought to declare it boldly. And so he asks for help to carry out his part to play. And he trusts God with the outcome. Church, we have to see, it's just not within your power ultimately to blow it or to seal the deal. But it is your choice whether or not to speak at all. Redeemer, we are the recipients of such great grace. And we are the messengers now of such good news. Personally, I'll tell you, I'm taking these verses from Ephesians. As as we were finishing up that series last week, these verses stuck out to me and they hit me in a way where I just felt like I wanna take these verses and pray them over us and pray them over our church as we go into 2020 that God would give us boldness in proclaiming the gospel to our friends and our family and our neighbors. That each week in our community groups, we would be praying for specific people that we wanna share the gospel with. That this horse trough that we use to baptize people would be overflowing as we celebrate our friends placing their faith in Jesus. And this morning, before we move into a a time of communion, I I just wanna give you a moment right now to think of one person. Who is one person that God has placed in your life that you want to share your hope in Jesus with? I really do want you to think of one person. If you've got pen and paper, write down a name. If you don't have that, but you have your phone, pull it out and make a note. Who is this person that as you think and you pray right now, you're like, man, I I really want them to know about what Jesus has done in my life. I really want them to have the opportunity to respond. Start right now, start praying for an opportunity, praying for words to say and the boldness to say them, praying that they would see Jesus for who he is and believe. Redeemer, let's be faithful first to pray and then to speak and to trust God with everything else. I'll give you just a few moments to to think of that person and to pray and then I'll close us in prayer before we move into communion. Father, we lift these names up to you this morning. We pray for an opportunity to share the hope that we found in you. Each of us who you've redeemed, we have a story to share. We have good news. Lord, give us opportunities to share the gospel. Give us words to say. Give us boldness to say them. Would you soften the hearts of these people? Would you move in in their hearts and their minds to prepare them to receive it? That the seed of the gospel would find good soil in their hearts to grow up into faith and that this would be a season, this would be a year of celebrating an incredible movement of, of salvation and faith and flourishing in Arlington in Alexandria in D.C., we love you. Give us freedom from from fear of being awkward. Give us freedom from the fear of feeling like it's within our power to blow it or not. Give us a, a freedom and a joy in you so that sharing the gospel would just be a joyful overflow of worship. Father, give us the words to say and the boldness to say them as we leave this place this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.